You know, Gumby, once upon a time, it was really tough to hail a cab. Then a little something called Uber came along. You know, once upon a time, Gumby, there was a little something called Blockbuster. I used to go there as a fat 12-year-old and look for UFC tapes in the special interest section. And then a little something called Netflix came along. And once upon a time, there were these bulky, very unsanitary mouth guards that people used to put in their mouth when they played high-impact sports, team sports, or youth sports. And then a disruptor came along, a game changer. And that thing is called Sisu mouth guards. They're the most breathable, lightweight, durable mouth guards on the market. They keep you from having to put your hand on your mouth guard all the time because you can breathe with it, you can talk with it in, and it is super, super comfortable. So head on over to sisuguard.com and get yourself a Sisu mouth guard. So in summary, Sisu mouth guard brings you episode 23 of Top Turtle MMA podcast. Enjoy. We are rolling. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast, episode 23. I am David Tremonti, joined as always by Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com, which is the mothership for us, where we reside, we're on the podcast tab, but you of course can get us on your favorite streaming service, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes. Give the show a follow on Twitter, if that's your bag, at Top Turtle MMA, and you can check out Gumby. At Gumby Vreeland. Did I get everything out of the way? That sounds good to me. All right, let's get right into it, Gumby. We have an awesome, awesome fight card this weekend, headlined by Rory McDonald versus Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, which is just a sick, sick fight. But before we get into our breakdown of that, let's let's touch up some news items. What do you say? So, yeah, there, there's a couple of uh, nice little fight signings that happened uh, probably like three hours before we came on air here, too. You had Anthony Pettis will be fighting uh, Charles Oliveira. Yeah, he's going to do that at that uh, UFC on Fox 21, which is up in Vancouver. I don't know about you, but it... it seems like a fight they're trying to set up for Pettis to win. But then again, I said the same thing about Barboza. It just seems like a guy who's not going to try to out-wrestle Pettis or won't be able to if he does. Um, but this time they also like seem to like take away somebody who can strike against him too because Oliveira's striking isn't all that great either. He's got like a, a decent boxing background, but he, he's not going to outstrike Pettis, right? Right. It's Pettis's flyweight debut, and I think you hit the Featherweight. Name. featherweight. Fe- sorry, featherweight. featherweight. Uh, featherweight he's debut. cutting a flyweight. He's doing a damn good job with his weight cut. <laughs> his brother resides there. Um, But no, it's his featherweight debut, and I think you hit the nail on the head. This is a fight set up for him to win. I think they want to extrapolate every ounce of Anthony Pettis and his former Weedy Box cover uh, that they can. They're paying him a that, lot of that money. That went south quickly after the Wheaties Box, it, right? Did he Has he won since being on a Wheaties Box? Uh, I don't believe so, because I think the Wheaties Box was right around the time of Gil Melendez. Uh, I'll double-check on I that. I think he had a... a he, a belt on the the Wheaties box, right? Okay, then he won. He won Gilbert Melendez, and then and then not lost again three in a row. Yeah. Right. Okay. So he did get one win post Wheaties box. That's good. good but for him. yeah, they obviously they want to set him up at flyweight there. Which I mean, we were going through it with Mendez popping. There's another news item for you, and you said this to me, um, and it's a great point. There are no wrestlers really in that top ten of the featherweight division it, that are going to wrestle fuck him. Yeah, unless you count Frankie Edgar who. Although he's got a great wrestling base, yeah, doesn't true. use it very often. 
I mean, think back to when he was beating up Gray Maynard. Since then, he's kind of turned himself into like a boxer who uses his wrestling to set up his boxing. You know, he'll fake a couple of takedowns or, or get in a couple of singles and then give up on them just to keep you thinking. But he's not the type of guy who wants to grind you out anymore. He's, he's more of a boxer. So even him, I think uh, Pettis is probably a little bit more safe against versus some of the killers at 155. I mean, he had to get out of that division. It was only a matter of time if he's going to stick around the top of that division. He's going to run into somebody like Khabib Nurmagomedov. You know, and nobody wants that when you you got a an issue with wrestlers. Yeah, and I think we already did this exercise, but you look at that top ten. Brian Ortega likes to play off his back. Dennis Bermudez can wrestle, but I still would pick Pettis over him. Stevens is a very tough hitter for featherweight, but again, he's not going to wrestle. Not him. a wrestle guy. You might pressure him. Charles Oliveira, okay, that's the fight uh, we just talked about. We just yeah. talked about Cub Swanson not going to wrestle him. Ricardo Lamas, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe a little from Lamas. Mendez popped Max Holloway. That would be a sick fight. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you're right. Frankie Edgar would be probably the worst stylistic matchup for him there. And I've been saying for a minute, I always wanted to see Conor McGregor versus Anthony Pettis. So, oh, I've always wanted to see Jose Aldo versus Anthony Pettis when they were both champs. Everybody was talking about a super fight between the two champs. And now we and, might get it. And now you might get it. But, you know, neither of them might be chance at the time. Um, now, the other big fight in announcement actually came uh believe it or not from a free agent which is ross pearson got a short notice fight opponent of free agent will brooks yeah it it seemed like it was really quick too because uh i I looked online this morning and it said will brooks's uh you know technical bellator free agency uh stops at at noon right like he'd only signed with bellator up until noon right and then I, I want to say at like one thirty, this fight was announced. So like very, very quickly after that window was lifted, he had a UFC deal in place and a fight announced all at once. So you, you almost have to wonder, you know, he probably had been talking to the UFC or the UFC had him cornered and ready to go. Um, but it's awesome that they got him a fight so quickly because he's been out for a while. That'll be at the Ultimate Fighter 23 finale on July 8th. The yeah, night you, before you get UFC introduced 200. to him right during that International Fight Week, which is it's probably good for his publicity, too. Um, and I think probably a winnable fight for Will Brooks. People forget that he's 17-1. and one. The dude's got a very legitimate record, and you know, not for anything, the the Bellator lightweight division was is probably their best division. He was the champ in Bellator's best division, and they let him walk. So, um, you know, definitely an interesting guy to keep your eye on at at uh, lightweight in uh, the UFC. Um, so there you go. So those two big fight announcements coming out today. You know, you had some, uh, I guess, smaller stuff in the past week since we passed since we last talked. You know, right now, I think the kind of like the clickbaity, but I don't mean to clickbait gives it sort of a negative connotation. But I think the hot button item right now is who is Michael Bisping going to fight? Because it's kind of awesome. The possibilities are endless. You had Weidman getting at him now that his next surgery is over. He thinks he's he's not going to be ready until November, though. I I think he's just trying to set something up for New York as best as he can because he wants a title fight in New York. You have him and Rockhold continue to talk shit, though. I don't think the UFC would give Rockhold the rematch right away. You have uh, Jacare 
uh, who was, I believe, the number one contender. He, the dude's certainly not going to talk himself into a spot, though. That's the only thing with Jacare. You know, one thing with that, Chael Sonnen brought up on his podcast, and I didn't think of this angle, and I thought it was a really good point, which is the UFC's second biggest TV contract is with uh, Globo, the mm. Brazil TV yep. uh, distributor. And uh, he, Chael, of course, being Chael, being the dramatic guy that he is, I think he said something along the lines of, like, I've been in the room, I've heard, you know, they want Brazilians featured or they want Brazilian champions. Makes sense. So well, I, th- I think from a global perspective, and Art Davey said this when he talked to us on the show too, is that from a global perspective, they want champs from different places. Joanna Janjacek has done wonders for Eastern European MMA. You know, having like a, a Polish champion. There have been more and more and more Polish fighters coming out of the woodworks too. And you know, Conor McGregor did a ton for Irish MMA. I mean, like when he broke through. Everybody started hearing about these other Irish dudes on the market, too, and, and, and that's just great for, for every area. So, I mean, even though Brazil is not an area about to be discovered, you know, so to speak. or you But know, it's their second biggest market. It's a big market, and the UFC wants to have champions from different markets. It's good for it. Yeah, so when people say, and I kind of get caught up in this sometimes, too, oh, he can't talk himself into the fight, this and that, there are a lot more factors at play. So that, That's very true. And, and I think Jacare is the most deserving, but then the one, and we kind of <laughs> talked about it last week, that I want just with my heart, not so much with my head, is I would love to see Dan Henderson just have his last fight be against Michael Bisping, the rematch after the brutal knockout that Hendo put on him at UFC 100, and we call it a day and a career for Dan Henderson. You know, so here's the issue with that, though. So the UFC, I think, thinks in their heads, fans would buy the shit out of that, right? 44, 45-year-old Dan Henderson, however fucking old he is, going for a title shot to, like, ride off into the sunset with the belt around his waist. But I also think they fear that. What if he rides off into the sunset with the belt around his waist? That's a great point. Because, you know, from from the perspective of marketing, it is really shitty to try to market the title fight to pick up the vacant title. You know, like, these two are fighting to be second best in the division. And, of course, we know it wouldn't be for second best in the division because I don't think anybody here is under the assumption that Dan Henderson is the best 185-pound fighter in the world. Far from it. But... He has a very real chance at winning the title if you let him fight Michael Bisping right now. And not that Michael Bisping couldn't beat him, or I might not even pick Michael Bisping to beat him. But I think the UFC fears all he's got to do is land that H-bomb again, and we find ourselves with a division with no champion. Yeah, I agree. And then I think there's also, I mean, I would imagine that they would probably sign him to like a multi-fight contract to avoid this, but they wouldn't want him to win the title, wake up in a year and say, I want to attempt to come back and do it on Spike TV as the, you know, as the, the former the or uncrowned the un- right. Yeah. yeah. The, the champion that wasn't uh, beaten. So no, I, I'm sure they would, if that happened, they would have him on lockdown. So he would never fight anywhere else ever again. Um, and I don't think Henderson, I think he's a company man, too, because he's even said in the past before the UFC offered him a front office job. He'd never fight again. Um, Obviously, this would would change things, but I I think he still sticks to that. He would just want to work with the UFC forever. He's not. Henderson said that? Yeah. Yeah. I want to say, and maybe you can check me on this because I'm not 100% sure now that you're questioning me, um, but I'm pretty sure he said that if they offered him like a Matt Hughes type deal, he'd be in on it. Okay, I'll uh, I'll have the non-existent intern check it out. I'm just I'm surprised. I, I'm not like doubting it, and you're probably right if you read it or whatever. I just I've never thought of Henderson 
as a pro UFC guy. I've always thought of him as a pro I'm going to get paid guy. I mean, but, he's left the since, UFC twice. But, yeah, but since Pride folded, he's been there, right? No, because he left to go to Strike Force right after oh, right. this thing. Leave to go to Strike for money and all over money. Strike Force crap. Yeah. yeah. And then Zufa bought them too. That was that was terrible for him. <laughs> um, but anyway, to your point, yeah, I would lo- I would love to see him in some sort of ambassador role. He's yeah, a yeah. legend that goes all the way back to the. I don't, don't want to see him at another Bellator fan fest at Dave and Buster's because no. let me tell you Those that are... does very little for me when I see legends like Hoist Gracie and Fedor like hanging out with like the. The ball pit. Does, do they have a ball pit? It's not that kind of restaurant, eh, right? I've, no, I've never really been to too many David Buster's, but you know what I mean. Like the metaphor those, works. Those yeah. guys hanging out around like little kid video games and like people ordering hot wings, and they're just like sitting behind them signing autographs. It's it's weird to me. I I completely understand where you're going with that. Now the other news item we could mention that I actually don't want to talk about, but I feel like we would be remiss not to mention it is the rumors of the sale finally going through. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that the issues with the sale thing, too, is that it's it's getting blown out of proportion a little bit. A couple of those media outlets will pick up literally every, anything and everything and just post it as if it's like a real, you know, news item. You know, the same people who were posting Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather were a done deal. <laughs> BJPenn.com. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, I didn't hear that either. Um, so, uh I think the issue is is that there are a bunch of people who will pick up anything. I, I think this winds up being a lot like the sale of the guys from Abu Dhabi where they buy 9% or 10% and the UFC is able to cash in on a huge market in China. I don't think the Fertitas are looking to get out as much as people think they are. When you're hearing these big numbers, I'm sure it's just an evaluation of the whole company and they're getting ready to buy a portion of it. I think at the end of the day, you still see the Fertitas own this thing, and you know some guy from China owns fifteen percent or ten percent or something like that, and they you know now they have nine percent in Abu Dhabi, ten percent in China, and they can sell to those markets as much as they want because you know the big names in those markets will have their hands in it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's why I almost didn't want to talk about it. It's like let's wait till something's actually finally something announced. real. I, I think you're on it. Which it's all is, speculation. It's all speculation. Point. But if you wanted to tell me that the Fertitas want to cash out on, let's call it three billion or so, and uh, and ride off into the sunset and try to own an NFL team in Vegas, I, I mean, I buy that too. Uh, here's the other thing I wanted to mention to you, Gumby, because I know you are a grappler at heart much like myself, and you love the grappling world, it came out this week that one Conor McGregor, ever hear of him, has been training with Dylan Dennis, the Marcelo Garcia black belt, a former Metamorris competitor who choked out uh, Joe Lazan, I believe it was. Um, do you have any take on that? I mean, it, it makes sense. He's He's got that, uh, that GSP mentality. You don't train with a bunch of uh, MMA fighters who are good at kickboxing. You go train with a kickboxer. You don't train with a bunch of guys who are decent at Muay Thai and do MMA. You train with Muay Thai fighters. And I think he's taken a little bit of that page out of GSP's book. You don't train with a bunch of guys who are good at BJJ in, in MMA. You go train with a BJJ expert. This is the only thing I'll say. I really, And I said this at the time, too. I really, truly believe, and you could call me an idiot. You can make fun of me all you want if this is proven untrue. I think McGregor's lack of of BJJ gets overblown. And I'll tell oh, you why. I agree 100%. Yeah, because we saw some grappling skills in the Holloway fight, um, the much forgotten about one at this point uh, with where Connor's career is gone. And also he did sweep Nate Diaz with like a 
De La Hiva kind of, it was, I don't really know how to call it. I mean, it was like a leg sweep. He was it, on the ground. It was ground. a good scramble. Let's at least call it that. I mean, like, he, he you know, got a lift out of Diaz and scrambled and wound up on top. And wound up, right, wound up on top. And, you know, the whole thing with him tapping out, listen, I I will forever be a Henzo Gracie fan because he decided not to tap out in a joint lock when Sakuraba had that Kimura on him and just decided to pop his elbow um, you know, and then this whole thing got so overblown with him tapping to the rear naked choke. But I'll tell you, he was gassed at that point. He just yeah. wanted out of the fight. What's yep. the quickest way out of the fight? Here, take my neck. Yeah, um, and, and I think that whole, like, everybody, you know, bitching that he, he tapped out too quick. And, and we've covered this a hundred times, so we'll keep it quick. Yeah. I mean, it's overblown. Yeah, and I don't think this is going to change the fight or Dylan Dennis is going to make a really even a lick of difference in the fight because what that fight is going to be about, and we could save this for the 202 preview, is just Connor being energy efficient, as he called it, and trying to outbox Nate Diaz instead of outpunch. 100%. All right, so that was the news of the week. Should we transition into what we really came here for, what brought us to the dance, which Let, is... Let's go to Ottawa. Let's go. <laughs> Very few people have ever said that. But we're <laughs> right now. Okay, no so. offense to you if you're from Ottawa. <laughs> so let's give a little backstory on this. This is Fight Night 89. It's taking place in Ottawa. And uh, you have arguably the two top welterweight contenders fighting each other in the main event. You have Rory McDonald and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. We have to mention that, as the story goes, Rory McDonald was in the midst of a contract negotiation with the UFC, had one fight left. As the story goes, reportedly, purportedly, uh, he was going to fight Hector Lombard. He didn't re-sign the contract extension that the UFC gave him. He said, I'm choosing to go to free agency. And again, as the story goes, as he told it to a well-known MMA reporter, Ariel Hawani, on his show... All of a sudden, the Hector Lombard fight was taken away, and they said, here's Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Here's the best striker in your division (laughs) by a freaking mile. So (sighs) it can't be understated that this fight has so many ramifications because if Rory wins, he is a free agent. And probably the most relevant free agent. In and he's the, got the, all the freaking chips. All the chips. It, the most relevant free agent in the Bellator era. And if he loses, he'd be off a two-fight losing streak because he lost to Robbie Lawler in the war last July. And he's got literally none of the chips. And none of them. Exactly. And then you have Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who it feels like after the destruction of Johnny Hendricks this past February... Are we seeing the apex, the very best of... I feel like Joe Rogan right now going off on a rant. Are we seeing the very best of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson as he rises... They, like, zoom in on, on Joe Rogan's face during that promo, and he, like, throws his hands, too. Yeah, right, exactly. And, you know, are we seeing... Has Wonderboy now finally become a true mixed martial artist? He used to be a, you know, striker first who Matt Brown pressure pressure boxed into a win. And now we just saw it in February where Johnny Hendricks, the all-American wrestler, collegiate wrestler, couldn't even take him down. Thing of beauty. So let me back up and let's just go over, as we always do, uh, the fighter records coming into this. Rory McDonald is on a lot, coming off a loss to Robbie Lawler, aforementioned, uh, but he's two and one in his last three. Beat Tarek Safadine, uh, via TKO in the third round back in October of 2014, beat Tyron Woodley, the next challenger for the belt. <laughs> you laugh. I'm not, I'm not even going to touch By that. unanimous decision in June of 2014. Uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, on the other hand, coming off just a beautiful uh, 
almost, you could call it, artful piece of work beating Johnny Hendricks back in February. Many people wanted to see him fight for the title immediately. The UFC had different plans, but he is actually on a, oh, geez, by golly, by gosh, since losing to Matt Brown back in April of 2012, he's on a six-fight win streak, Gumby. What are your thoughts on this fight? Uh, you know, so I've, I've been back and forth on this. I think that, you know, obviously what got... Uh, Wonder Boy, his victory over Johnny Hendricks was not necessarily just his kickboxing, but his footwork was really, really important. It allowed him to stay away from the wrestling of Johnny Hendricks. Uh, Johnny Hendricks couldn't get inside. His his footwork wasn't good enough to get inside, and he was getting jabbed on the way in. Um, you know, when you think about somebody like Rory McDonald, and, and if I asked you, what's the best part about Rory McDonald? Well, I think of him sort of as a GSP type. He's he, well-rounded. He all does over. whatever he wants to, right? Like right. you know, he's the kind of guy who can stand and box with you, as we saw in the Lawler fight. You know, he tagged Lawler a bunch of times. You could say he's the kind of guy who can wrestle you and get inside on you. He's the guy who can clinch with you and put you up against the cage. I think his footwork is way better than Johnny Hendricks, so I don't want to play that game where like, oh well, if Hendricks couldn't get inside. And take him down, yeah. then there's no way Rory could. Different because I think Rory's wrestling, if we're talking like pure wrestling, is not as good as Johnny Hendricks. But I do think the footwork and his movement to get inside is way better. I agree with that. And, yeah. and I think in this case, Wonder Boy is going to find himself fighting way closer than he's comfortable cl- fighting. I, I agree with that completely. I was going to say, well, you know, does Hendricks have the better entries from below the waist? Absolutely. But I think Rory could end up in a clinch and maybe do some fancy, I'm going to get to your back right now, standing. And then, kind of, you know, like, I think he might have some creative well, I think, you, I think you're going to see him put him against the cage, too, and I wouldn't be surprised knowing that he trains with Fira Sahabi that, you know, you could definitely see trips up against the cage because, you know, GSP did shit like that. You've seen other people out of TriStar, you know, put him up against the cage and work him down systematically down like that, and then you don't have to worry about the strikes from distance or, like, long double leg takedowns that were costing Johnny Hendricks. In knowing that about Rory McDonald, I actually feel fairly comfortable picking Rory McDonald to win this fight. Wow, fairly comfortable. Vegas has it as a minus 105 McDonald and minus 115 to minus 120 Thompson. So So Thompson is a slight favorite, but like I said, I I think that well-roundedness and his ability to just get on him and not make it a distance striking game is going to be all the difference here. So this is where I kind of lie with it. I'm picking McDonald with my bank account because if I had to put my money on it, I'm going to go with who I believe to be the more complete martial artist. And I believe that to be Rory McDonald. I think he's the most complete in that division Uh, as long as GSP has gone. Right. Um, And I, but then I think to myself, okay, did Robbie Lawler, change Rory McDonald after that fight last last year. You know, that was a war. It's almost like that movie Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow. Your life can go in two different directions if you miss a certain subway. And I think that Rory McDonald, I don't know, you know, Conor McGregor broke Chad Mendez's jaw in July of 2015 and then Frankie Edgar, it felt like, just tapped him on the jaw four months later and got a KO. But but I will say the difference in that one, too, is that Rory McDonald was never knocked out. That's true. You know, Rory McDonald had his face broken in a couple of broken places. Broken nose, broken orbital. And slowly, he just couldn't breathe anymore. He got tagged one more good time, and the ref was like, you're a bloody mess. This is over. 
Whereas Chad Mendez went down and pretty much out against Connor, and then he definitely went out against Frankie Edgar. So uh, while I, I buy that, like, once your head's been shook up once, it's more likely to be shook up, I don't think that's the case with Rory Mack here. If anything, I think Rory Mack enjoyed seeing his own blood and is going to come back three times as better than he did before. Fair. I think that's a great counterpoint. Here's my other concern, though, because I'm just bringing up how I could see the path to victory for Wonderboy. Oh, I definitely think I, Wonderboy could win, too. Don't take that away. At, the other one is the fact that... Um, well, actually, this is more to R- the Rory point, which is that uh, Faraz Zahabi brought in Wonderboy Thompson to train with GSP and has an intimate knowledge of Wonderboy, albeit an old, you know, old version Wonderboy. And that kind of scares me because, you know, in the NFL, you can always, I always, if I'm gambling on it, not that I normally do because the NFL kind of bores me, to be quite honest with you. But I used to always go by, okay, who has the better quarterback head coach combo and match it up like that. And I don't really even know who Steven Thompson's head coach is. Is it Mark Henry, maybe? Uh, I, I don't know the answer. I mean, Upstate I, karate, right? Is yeah. that where he trains? It's like he trains with Ryan Hall, but then Chris Weidman's his brother-in-law. So I know he goes up to like Sarah Longo. So he, he's got a... Oh, of like a mixed camp, if we could call it. Bottom line is, I trust Veriz Zahabi to come up with a really good game plan to figure out the he, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson puzzle. If not the best in the biz, very, very close. Um, but yeah, you know, I also just, this is actually the point I wanted to make, which is I just wonder if we're seeing Wonderboy evolve at just the right time and... I don't know. I'm just Possibly. super impressed. Yeah. I'm, I was super impressed by it, the Hendricks. It's definitely fight. one of the most intriguing main events I've seen in a really long time. Without a doubt. Um, so we'll move now to the co-main event, and that's going to be at 170 pounds, Donald Cerrone. What? Donald Cerrone? 170 pounds? Yeah, he seems to like fighting at 170 pounds now, people. Talk to him, not me. But he's going to be fighting the biggest 170-pounder he's ever fought. He's going to be fighting Patrick the Predator Cote, friend of the show, I should mention. Um, Cerrone is coming off a win over Alex Oliveira, the other cowboy, via triangle choke in the first round back in February, lost to RDA for the 155-pound title in December, and beat John McDessie uh, back in May of 2015. So he is 2-1 in his last three. But you also have to remember, before fighting for the 155-pound title, reeled off about eight or nine wins in a row. Yeah, insane Uh, win streak. Um and now 1-0 and at 170 pounds. Cote, on the other hand, uh, actually has a loss to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson back in September of 2014, should be noted, but since that loss is on a three-fight win streak, just beat up Ben Saunders via TKO punches in the second round back in January, beat up Joshua Berkman, don't call him Josh, uh, via TKO punches in the third round in August, and beat Joe Diesel Riggs in April of 2015, who you got? So that's, uh, to me, you know, Cote's on a good roll here. Uh, but those three are, are kind of middlings in the division, you know, not to offend any of the three because they're all, you know, awesome, awesome guys. But but at the same time, you know, you, you don't look at any of those wins and are like, hey, that's pretty awesome. The other thing I will notice, Cote has fallen in love with his hands a little bit too much for me. Not that he's not good at boxing, but what he did best before was pressure and takedown. Um and if he falls in love with his hands too much against Cerrone, Cerrone's going to make him pay for it, um, like Cerrone has so many. And I think if Cerrone kickboxes with Cote, 
Cerrone wins that nine times out of ten, maybe ten times out of ten. I'm going to go with Cerrone on this one for both his kickboxing and his ability to work off his back. Super underrated the amount of triangle chokes this kid's got. Uh, so when he fights somebody like Kote who needs to either, you know, box or, or work from the top, you know, I, I don't like his chances working from the top against Cerrone. I don't like his chances kickboxing either. Interesting. Because I, I don't know. I mean, listen, Vegas has it as minus 170 Cerrone, uh, the favorite to Kote. You could get him at like a plus 140 dog. Uh, I don't know. Just Cote's so much bigger, though. I'm having trouble getting past the size aspect for Cerrone coming up. I mean, I think that's true, but I think when you see him side by side, I don't think the difference is as big as you think it is. Uh, I mean, Cerrone's a tall guy, too, right? Like, isn't Cerrone taller than Cote? Um, I can I just get to put the intern on it. Window, but yeah, let me bring it back up. <laughs> um, yeah, but I do think. I mean, I well, we know for a fact. I don't think Cerrone. Cuts more than what ten pounds to get to one seventy. Yeah, I mean Cote is he's got to be two hundred pounds. Yeah, or damn close. He's a fucking beast. So I mean, on a thickness level, I know Cote is bigger, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, and it should be noted that Co- you're definitely right. Cote's wrestling is, is a, a factor here. I, again, I just want to say that I think that. Cerrone off of his back with all of his submissions and triangle chokes and stuff like that negates that enough. Plus, you you can't forget the knees, too. He throws knees like it's his job. And you know what? You are completely right. Checking with the non-existent intern here, uh, Cerrone does have an inch on Cote. Okay, so maybe not as much as I thought he did, because I would have thought he was a couple inches taller. But Six foot compared to 5'11". Although, you can never really trust people who say they're six feet. They're probably 5'11". <laughs> yeah. And they just round it up. Although, Cote saying he's 5'11". He's just either an honest Canadian or he's 5'10". He's, I would say honest Canadian. He said some pretty honest shit to us when we were, uh, we were interviewing him. All right, so we'll move on here. You got Sean O'Connell versus Steve Bose. Did I say that right, or is it Bossy? I, I think it's Bose, but um, I, c- I could be completely wrong on that one. Well, Bossy or Bose is um, at a TriStar himself. They loaded up this card with Canadians. Uh, Bose coming off that big win over James Tahuna, first round KO, lost to Tiago Santos via head kick KO back in June. Very nasty head kick. He was making his UFC debut on short notice. I believe he was a hockey enforcer before coming to MMA, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds right. Um, it could also be a Canadian stereotype. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> uh, so one and one in the UFC fighting Sean O'Connell. This is at 205 pounds, mind you, if I failed to mention that before. Uh, O'Connell is coming off a loss to Alir Latifi. Uh, no shame in that. TKO in the first round back in January, but beat Anthony Peroche before that and beat Matt Van Buren before that. So he is two and one in his last three. What are you thinking on this? Uh, I'm a little bit worried about O'Connell's chin. Uh, I like O'Connell. He trains with Jeremy Gumby Horn, uh, who I'm personally a really big fan of. Uh, But at the same time, uh, you know, Boche hits really, really, really hard. Uh, as is evident by a bunch of his past fights. Uh, and when I saw Latifi tag O'Connell, he went down pretty quick. Um, you know, and you never like to play that game like, oh, his, his chin is suspect because, you know, everybody who gets hit hard goes out at some point in time. But uh, I think the safe pick here is Boche because of how hard he hits. Boche confirmed with the non existent intern. He is a former hockey enforcer in a, uh, I guess, the Quebec semi professional league. Nice. Um, so good on him. Uh, the odds here have O'Connell as a plus 130 dog. Uh, Boche is the minus 150 favorite. Give uh, our loyal listeners again your uh, official prediction. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Boche by knockout. So I'm going with favorites at the top of the card, even 
even though these aren't. Well, I guess no. Uh, McDonald's technically not a favorite, huh? That's like that's I mean, a that's, fucking. Pick I'm splitting on. hairs yeah, here, split. trying to get an underdog, but you know. Yeah, you're, you're splitting hairs there. All right, so uh, we'll move along then, um, and we will go to uh, a, an exciting prospect at 170. Also, I believe fighting out of TriStar. Um, he's definitely from uh, Quebec. And that is Olivier Aubin Mercier. Uh, you can also call him OAM for short. He will be fighting Theobald Gauti. Did I pronounce that right? I believe it's T-Ball Gauti. There you go. T-Ball Gauti. Uh, Mercier is coming off a loss to Carlos Diego Ferreira. That was a unanimous decision back in January. He looked pretty lethargic in that fight, if I remember correctly. You do remember correctly. Um, beat Tony Sims before that via unanimous decision and beat David Michaud via rear naked choke back in April of 2015. So he is 2-1 in his last three. Gouty, on the other hand, uh, is coming off a loss to... Timo Pakalin at the UC... The, the Finnish kid. Right. Uh, it was a rear naked choke. This was back at Silva Bisping in February, uh, and that was his UFC debut. So he is 0-1. What are you thinking here, Gumby? Uh, I'm thinking OAM all day here because Gowdy had trouble with Pakalin's, uh you know, grappling. Pakalin's got good grappling, but he's not OAM good in this case. Uh, and, and, you know, knowing that OAM goes to his wrestling and his jiu-jitsu first and knowing Gaudi had that hole in the first place I think that this is a pretty easy uh, fight to pick and being in Canada that they were just kind of trying to set OAM up with something he could win game set match OAM is a minus 400 favorite you 400 can, you can, as much as 400 as low as 345 wow um but you could get Gauti as a plus 300 dog if you're feeling frisky um, and then, very exciting fight to round out the uh, the main card. This is on FS1, if I didn't mention that already. Um, and that's going to be Joanne Calderwood facing Valerie Letourneau. But this is at a special 125-pound catchweight bout. Do you what, know why that is? I, I think basically they're, they're trying out whether or not 125 pounds makes sense. Uh, because these are, are two women who fought at 115 pounds. And it definitely took something away from both of them dropping down that far. I mean, Latorno got to fight for the title, and she looked weak fighting for the title, um, which is, you know, not a knock on her, but I think the weight cut's killing her. But there's definitely no way she can go up 20 pounds to 35. So I think it's one of those tryout things. Like, if this looks good, and these two are clearly much better at 25, maybe we give the 25-pound division a run in the UFC. Uh, and, you know, Invicta's got a lot of 125-pounders there. Um as far as the, the fight breakdown here, uh, you kick it off with the, the record. Too. So John, Joanne Calderwood is coming off a win off over, over Courtney Casey. She's 2-1 and one in her last three, um, and she's had three UFC fights. Of course, a alumni of that Ultimate Fighter season that actually crowned the strawweight champion. Letourneau, as you already mentioned, coming off a loss to the dominant 115-pound champion, Joanna Jurjikjek. Uh That was back at Rousey versus Home in November. Ioana Champion, that is. Um, and before that, she beat Marna Moroz and Jessica Rakowski. So she is 2-1 and one in her last three. Yeah, so in this one, I'm going to go with uh, with a Joanne Calderwood, mostly because of her renewed focus. So at one point in time, she was thought to be maybe the best in the 115-pound division, the favorite to win the title on that show. If not, you know, obviously Carla Esparza was up there as well. Um but she she kind of fell apart after she didn't win the title. You know, she talked about, you know, having some uh, issues with her focus 
um, with stuff going on outside of the cage and things like that. Uh, but she's moved to TriStar for this camp, and she's been doing a bunch of training at TriStar. So I'm sure, uh, once again, to just throw another thing in Furious's corner here, Furious has got her focused, and Furious has got her as good as she possibly can be. And in this fight, she is definitely the ranger of the two. She fights very long. She fights with elbows. She fights with push kicks. Whereas Latorno's kind of a bruiser. She's got to get inside and punch that way. So uh, I, I think that she's probably going to use those push kicks to stay away, and you're going to see a win here from Calderwood. All right. Uh, well, Calderwood, if you wanted to place a bet on her, if you're feeling good about Joanna, uh, she's about a plus 150 dog. Letourneau, the minus 180 favorite. And I think that kind of speaks to she. Uh, I think she's the bigger of the two, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> oh, um, uh, Letourneau. Letourneau, yeah, and, definitely. And definitely. a heavier hitter. But I do agree with you that I think Calderwood maybe has uh, a more sophisticated attack. Yeah, and... and... Enough cannot be said about Calderwood's chin, too, because uh, Sohyam hit her pretty hard in her UFC debut, and, and uh, she kept moving forward. So I have a good feeling about Letourneau. I don't know. Um, but I like Calderwood, too. I'm very intrigued by this fight. Yeah, I really I, I'm actually a big fan of Calderwood's style all the way back from when she was in uh, Invicta. I can't remember what fight it was, but she threw an up elbow. like a, She led in, overshot her punch, and then intentionally threw an up elbow and it was freaking sick so um she she got a fan for life in me when she did that so uh I, it'll be hard for me to pick against her all right well that rounds out the main card and we actually have a special treat gumby because we got a chance to catch up with one of the fighters fighting uh on saturday and that's jocelyn jones lieberger the 115 pound straw weight from the ufc uh and before we kick to that interview and then break down the rest of the card i would be uh, remiss not to mention that this interview is brought to you by New England Submission Fighting. New England Submission Fighting, a mixed martial arts gym in western Massachusetts. If you're in the area, southern Vermont, eastern upstate New York, uh, northern Connecticut, or if you're out in eastern Mass and you want to come get the best no-gi submission grappling you can get in the state, come on over to New England Submission, New England Submission Fighting. Tell them Dave and Gumby sent you. You'll be treated with a choke and a smile. You could check out the website AmherstMMA.com. That's A M H E R S T M M A dot com. It is my home gym. It is Gumby's home gym. And they also happen to sponsor this podcast of ours. New England Submission Fighting brings you our interview with UFC fighter Jocelyn Jones Liebarger. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with Jocelyn Jones Liebarger and my co-host David Tremonti. Jocelyn fights this Saturday in Ottawa against Randa Marcos. Uh, Jocelyn, we'll get right into it here. Uh, you know, you're only five days away from your fight. Uh, how do you feel and what's going on with your preparations as of right now? First of all, thank you guys so much for having me and uh, great job on pronouncing my full name. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. Um, I'm I'm excited. I'm ready to go. I'm here right now with my wife, Jana. We're just packing, uh, getting everything together. We fly out tomorrow at 6 a.m. Awesome. Had a few, you know, last-minute tests I had to do, pregnancy tests. You know how that is for the female fighters. So, oh, yeah. But I'm ready to go. So um, let's talk a little bit about your camp. So uh, right now the MMA lab is, is probably hotter than it's ever been. Brian Barbarana coming off a couple of big wins. Alex Caceres coming off a huge win his last fight. Uh, do you feel that the recent success of the lab, uh, you know, motivates you to do better? Does it give you the momentum coming into this weekend's fight? 
Yeah, it does. Um, everybody's been good spirits in the in the gym, and uh, you know we're all behind our head coach Sean Crouch, and uh, we like what's going on in the gym right now. And uh, it it really has to do with our our team atmosphere. You know, like I would always get that question. You know, like is Ben really in practice with you guys every day? Like, yeah, yeah, he is. Everybody is. We all practice together at the same time. We all do our strength and conditioning together at the same time and and uh you know we have a great time in there and we work hard yeah it's so funny you mentioned that uh because it was one of our questions for you which was do you guys all train together because there are so many big names so many professionals coming out of the lab right now we were wondering if it gets broken down into individual groups or if it's one big pro training camp together no it's one big one big team we all train together you know every day three to five p.m we all do our strength and conditioning together in the mornings um yeah that one-on-one time with your mitt work and things like that you schedule that and then also uh you know john crouch is teaching he teaches every every morning and every evening so you know when you're when you're a pro on the team like coaches on your butt to get in jiu-jitsu classes he is teaching the classes you know you have to get your extra work in and and uh you know you have to do your no dmd and uh that's required you know uh but yeah we're all there together do you have a preference between no gi and gi um i like doing gi i try to get in coaches classes three times a week and i love putting the gi on um, you know, because Tuesdays and Thursdays are pro practice three to five. There's a lot of grinding, wrestling, and, uh, you know, groundwork. So, you know, obviously, like, that's our no-gi time, you know. So I love putting the gi on, though. Yeah, you certainly don't hear that much, too much uh, out of pro fighters nowadays. Most are uh, moving away from the gi, so it's it's refreshing to hear mm-hmm. somebody who's really into it. Um, you know, you've mentioned your coach, John Crouch, a couple of times, uh, you know, either with the multiple sessions or that he's always there. Um, we had him on a couple of months ago, uh, and he mostly just wanted to talk about you guys the whole time. Is there something about Coach John Crouch uh, that he would not tell us about himself that you could share about him? He's like a big teddy bear. <laughs> he's so smart. He's, you know, he, he goes to school right now online. Um, he's, he's very intelligent, you know, when um, sometimes he'll talk and talk, but the stuff that he has to say, you want to sit there and listen. And uh, he's, he's a huge goofball, you know. He can keep you laughing forever. And, and that's, during fight week, it's so much fun to have him around, you know, because he carries everything so lightly and just will make you laugh and feel better, even though you could be sitting there cutting weight or whatever, and he'll just put a smile on your face. And, you know, I've always looked up to him. And, and uh, But when it's go time, it's, it's freaking go time. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So you mentioned the weight cut. Obviously, a big topic in today uh, in today's MMA landscape. How much weight are you typically cutting for your fights? Here we are taping this uh, five days before the fight. What's your weight at right now? And, and how much weight will you have to cut, let's say, the day before? Uh, day before is usually about two, two and a half pounds. You know, I'm 125.4 this morning. I feel great. I work with Mike Dolce. You guys all know him. Mm-hmm. Um, got off the phone with him this morning. Um, you know, I've already eaten three times today, breakfast, snack, uh, lunch, and uh, I've already had two cups of coffee. And, you know, like I'm sitting here drinking my water just like we all do. But, yeah, 
Um, the day before, I'm about two and a half pounds out, and uh, we're just sitting, relaxed in a hot bath, and uh, you know, the morning of weigh-ins, and and just sit there and relax, and and it's always I've worked with him for a while now, and it's always been it's he's a really good friend of mine too, and he's super intelligent, and uh, I'm blessed to have him on my team. That's really awesome that you're you're that close too, especially with all of those new uh, things that they're planning on putting into place for how close mm-hmm. you have to be to weight. Um, let's switch a little bit more to the fight game because we talked a little bit about training and cutting weight. So uh, obviously, Randa Marcos was uh, you know up there in in talks for a title talk for a while, coming off the Ultimate Fighter. Um, obviously, her grappling skills are are part of the reason for that. Uh, what are you doing, if anything, to change up your training to work for a grappler like her? Uh, compared to, you know, some of your past opponents? Yeah, uh, we're prepared for, you know, her ground game. You know, she has to get me to the ground first, you know, if that's where she wants to go. But, uh, you know, I train with, you know, Maria Henderson, Ben Henderson's wife, Lauren Murphy. You guys all know Mackenzie, I'm sure. But uh, I'm not worried too much. She does have some weird, you know, jiu-jitsu stuff. But like I said, like, she has to get me to the ground first. and, and, And you see a lot of, you know, I'm not going to say any names, but girls who like to be on the ground, but they're struggling to get past somebody's stand-up to even get that takedown, you know. Um, but uh, we're prepared for it, you know. Um, I, I'm very confident in my ground game, too, in my jiu-jitsu and my wrestling, so I'm okay if we go there. Like, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I just want to, you know, keep it sandy, keep it sandy, and, like, I'm, I'm ready for anything. Well, that's a good way to be. Uh, Jocelyn, we do want to give you a chance before we wrap things up. We notice, and we this always warms our heart when we see you know MMA fighters such as yourself who do some type of work in their personal life or their free time mm-hmm. that, that betters other people. And you seem to do a lot of work. We did some Twitter stalking uh, with mm-hmm. Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Could you tell us a little bit about how you even got involved with that, what motivates you to do that, and how you even find the time? Yeah. Well, my wife is a cancer survivor. She, uh, you know, she had, we battled cancer together for almost four years. She had thyroid cancer, and it was the, one of the hardest things, you know, that we both had to deal with. Um, and she works there, too. She works for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. You know, about two and a half years after I started working there, then she found out she had thyroid cancer. You know, it was a shock to all of us. And um, cancer is everywhere. It's everywhere. You know, my my wife now is a cancer survivor, thank God. My mom is. My grandmother is. But uh, it, it's because of Cancer Treatment Centers in America that, that you know, Janet's still here and we were able to catch it early and, and do what we had to do. But um, so Janet and I are both really big advocates for it. You know, we're out there in, com- in the community right here in Litchfield Park raising money for local Arizona cancer fighters who need help paying their non-medical bills. We're always putting charity events on, and and uh, we have fun doing it. And most of all, we have fun doing it together. And it also lets me work another part of my brain, and that's what I have fun doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm in the gym 24-7, but to put these events on and go out in the community and find sponsors and find, you know, stuff to raffle off at events and stuff like that, it's, it's fun. And we... We, you know, we raise a lot of money because uh, our last event we raised over, you know, $1,500. And I know that doesn't sound a lot, but 
but when each when we're raising money for Arizona Assistance in Healthcare, each patient gets two hundred and fifty dollars a month, and it goes towards our non medical bills. We just helped, you know, over five patients. So, um, you know, it's fun doing it, and we enjoy doing it, and uh, you know, we'll keep on doing it. Yeah, that's great. No, and and that's not a small amount of money by any means when you're getting someone to donate. You know, every little bit helps, and uh, exactly that, that's great that you do that, and and happy to hear that uh, that your wife is cancer free as well. Um, thank you, thank you. Well, with that being said, we so appreciate the time, Jocelyn. You will be fighting Randa Marcos this Saturday night uh, in Ottawa, and uh, you have two fans here. We wish you the best of luck in the fight, and uh, hopefully, we could catch up with you maybe down the road uh, after the fight's over. Heck yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. And remember, we are on the Fight Pass card with the third fight of the night uh, live on UFC Fight Pass. All right, there you have it, Gumby. Jocelyn Jones Leibarger. Yeah, it was real, uh, real treat to get to talk to her uh, on the week of fights because you don't get that too often with fighters. They're usually in the zone uh, working on their weight cuts. She was really, uh, really gracious to, to let us get a chance to peek into what that looks like. Uh, and it was good to, to be able to give her, her charities a, a shout-out, too, because, you know, great to hear UFC fighters doing extra stuff for the community. So now comes that awkward time when someone's nice enough to come on your podcast and then you have to break down their fight. What are you thinking here? Randa Marcos, very tough wrestler. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried about Marcos's wrestling, but the the thing about Liebarger is she's a, she's a heck of a boxer and she's got good defensive jiu-jitsu. Uh, and, you know, you always got to give a shout-out to John Crouch because John Crouch has got his fighters prepared. Fuck yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go out on a limb here and I'll take Liebarger, Jones Liebarger, because was, uh, I think that, you know, the the first fight she had on short notice, definitely a tough one to take. And, and I think she could take Marcos. I, hey, listen, I love me some random Marcos, but I'm going Jones Lieberger here, too, because I'm a shill. And anyone who comes on my podcast, <laughs> our little startup <laughs> podcast here, gets my vote of confidence. Now, I would be uh, remiss. I keep saying that phrase. Yeah, I'm, like, obsessed I, with was that. Was that on your word of the day calendar? Well, it's so weird because <laughs> what ends up happening is I like to make fun of people who say stupid phrases. Like but, remiss. Right, remiss. <laughs> But then what happens, it's like the joke's on me, then I start using it anyway. Yeah, and you can't stop. So I hope you can tell by my sarcastic tone when I say such words that I'm really making fun of people who say it normally. Anyway, I'd be remiss not to mention that (laughs) these fights are on UFC Fight Pass, um, Marcos versus Jones Lieberger. And uh, you also have a couple of good ones here. You have Elias Theodoro facing other friend of the show, Smiling Sam Alvey. Your thoughts? That is a freaking killer fight. That killer is so fight. good. I mean, Sam Alvey can beat anybody at any given time with that right hand. Um, I mean, he's knocked so many people out. Um, Theodoro's really well-rounded, though, and I think in this case he stays away from uh, from Alvey's right hand uh, and winds up getting his hand raised in either a decision or, or by you know ground and pounding him maybe. Yeah, um, I don't, has Theodoro, act, oh yeah, he lost to Tiago Santos. Yeah, and, yeah, well, who was, who was on a heck of a tear, that Santos, uh, because, you know, we, we talked about it earlier, too, he had knocked out uh, Sean O'Connell. Um, moving on, you have Colby Covington uh, fighting Jonathan Minier. Uh, the French Spider, they call him. Yeah, he's taking the fight on super short notice. Making his UFC debut. Are you going Colby Covington yeah, all you, day? Yeah, you can't pick against Colby Covington on short notice. Colby Covington's a killer. That one loss, if I'm not mistaken, and I might be mistaken, um, was it Mowgli Benitez? No, it was... Um, Are you talking about Colby Covington? Yeah, he lost to... Um, 
it's like a super prospect, right? Um, he lost to Warley Alves. Oh, Warley Alves. That yeah, is yeah. a super prospect. Yeah, that's a crazy good prospect. So, uh, you know, no shame in his only loss. And, and he wrestles really well. Um, so I'm definitely going to pick him head and shoulders over the uh, the new Frenchman. Also want to give you guys some odds. Elias Theodoro, the minus 300 favorite to Sam Alvey. You get it about a plus 230, highest plus 250 dog. Jones Lieberger, friends of the show, a plus 150 dog. Random Marcos, the minus 180 favorite. Colby Covington, heavy favorite, uh, minus 300 uh, to Jonathan Minier. A plus 250 dog. And then rounding out the, this is on the fight pass. Now I repeat that, fight pass prelims before they switch over to FS2. Um, you have Ali Bagatinov uh, fighting Gian Herrera, the revolutionary, they call him. Ali Bagatinov, uh, a one-time Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson challenger, then popped for EPO, I believe it was. What are you thinking there? I'm having a tough time with some of these guys who pop because, you know, he did look like a world beater before that. Uh, but Herrera is no joke. Uh, and, and, you know, if he does lose a step or two having tested positive for steroids, I wouldn't want to have to step in with Herrera right afterwards. So I might pick Herrera on this one. Well, hey, listen, bud, we're paid to do a podcast here. So are you maybe picking him or I'm are picking you picking Herrera? Boom. I'll, I'll pick freaking Herrera because he's coming off a couple of wins, too, right? Or a... Uh, he beat uh, Joby Sanchez back at the Ultimate Fighter finale in December and lost to your boy Ray Borg. Oh, that. no shame in a Borg loss. No. Um, all right, so that rounds out the uh, the Fight Pass prelims. We'll move to the FS2 prelims. You have uh, Chris, the real deal, Beal, fighting a favorite fighter of mine uh, as sort of a little engine that could mentality, former EBI competitor, and former TJ Dillashaw short notice title challenger. The shortest notice. <laughs> about, about, I don't know, 12 hours. Uh, Joe Soto. Um, what do you think in there? I, I'm going with Beal on this one. I, I know you like Soto. Soto's 0-3 in the UFC. Um, and mostly my worry with him is he's going to get out muscled by Beal. Beal is really, really strong. Uh, you know, I, I like Soto for taking that short notice fight too, but you know, the, the cards are just kind of stacked against him here. Is this going to be the end of Joe Soto? I mean, oh, and four, you can't imagine if he loses this one, you'd have to say that he's fired. Well, fuck it. I'm picking Joe Soto then. Cause I like him, and I like anyone who competed in ABI. Uh, if you want the, uh, odds on this, uh, you would have to get, um, oh geez. You know what? No Soto odds? <laughs> no, oh, yeah, never mind. Sorry. Got scared there for a minute. Soto, a uh, slight dog at plus 110. Uh, Beal, the minus 130 favorite. And I did not mention that Bogatinov, a very heavy favorite over Herrera. Uh, Bogatinov, minus 260. Herrera, about a plus 210, plus 220 dog. Uh, moving on, you have our boy, friend of the show, and maybe the most exciting prospect at 205, Misha motherfucking Serkinov. Uh, fighting Ian Kutaleba. Yeah, uh, I know Ian Kutaleba. Uh, he's a Eastern European guy too, correct? Uh, Republic of Moldova. Yeah, okay, Moldovan, uh, Eastern European. He, I've seen a couple of his fights. He's pretty legit, and this is again a no-name opponent for Misha Serkinov. That's very dangerous. Uh, I feel like he keeps getting these. Uh, but I've got no doubt Misha Serkinov does what he does best. He just pounds people out. Or, you know, breaks their jaw. Or breaks their jaw off their face. Yeah. Um, 
I'm not going to pick against Misha Serkinov until we start seeing him against top five, top ten guys. Same here. Misha all day. Uh, moving on, you have Tamden McCrory, the Barn Cat versus Christoph Jotko. That's hands down one of my favorite nicknames, the Barn Cat. <laughs> Do you ever uh, hear the, the ex- reason why he's called the Barn Cat? No, please he enlighten says, me. He says it's pound for pound the toughest animal in the animal kingdom. Uh, if you would rather, would you rather fight a 300-pound grizzly bear or a 300-pound barn cat and he argues you would rather fight the grizzly bear uh because a barn cat is like crazy and you never know what movements it's gonna make hey the man has a passion for barn cats are you <laughs> picking him in this fight i am picking him in this fight because you know what since he's come back because he had a really long layoff after he got let go from the ufc he went over to bellator he smoked everybody in the 185 pound division that they put in front of him in bellator they offered him a title shot and he said that's cute i'm gonna go back to the ufc and his fight against Josh Saman was just an absolute clinic. He looked so good. Uh, and I think Christoph Jocko is not good enough to deal with that. Uh, the big noticeable difference in Tamden McCrory is he no longer looks like a little skinny kid at 185. He now looks like a grown man. Um, and he's scary and got good jiu-jitsu. Well, the only thing I'll mention, I agree with everything you just said, is Jocko is riding the three-fight win streak. Uh, Scott Askham, Askham what, is probably the most impressive of those three wins. Uh, beat Tor Trong and Bradley Scott. Yeah, so I mean, like decent names there, but Tor Trong and Bradley Scott no longer with the company, right? No, I don't think so. Uh, and who is the third one you said? Well, Scott Askham. Ask, ask him what? Yeah, Askham's pretty legit, but at the same time, I don't know. I think Tamden McCrory, uh, with his new, new big boy muscles, uh, and his jujitsu is very legitimate. Um, I, I'm going with McCrory all day. No, fair enough. And uh, odds on this one, you could get your boy um, Tamden McCrory. Why am I having so? Oh, okay. He's a minus two fifty favorite. Jocko, the plus two ten dog. And uh, did I mention that Misha Serkinov could be had as a minus one eighty favorite to Kutaleba, a plus one seventy dog? That actually seems a little close. A right? little close. Yeah. Yeah. I would have expected Serkinov being like, what is he two and zero or three and zero in the UFC? He's got to uh, be three and zero at this point. Yeah. Or is he two and zero to, to be a little bit farther apart on odds, but that just speaks to how good Kutaleba is outside of the UFC. Uh, and you know, not a lot of people have seen the Moldovans fights, but you know. He's a legit prospect. Uh, Serganoff 2-0 in the UFC. Beat Daniel Jolly in his debut via KO. Beat Alex Nicholson uh, with what they deemed a neck crank, but I call a jawbreak. Yeah. Um, It was off a rear naked choke that was just on his chin. Um, All right, and then we'll round out the FS2 prelims with uh, Jason Sago, friend of the show, facing Leandro Silva. Who are you going with? I'm going with Sago. Uh, You know, he's got a very diverse game. He trains all over the freaking place. Um, You know, he's got that camp that focuses mostly on him. While I like Leandro Silva, uh, you know, I've been only mostly impressed with his takedowns in top game. Don't get me wrong. He's got some decent boxing in there. Uh, But I'm going to go with Sago on this one. Uh, You know, again, we're suckers for friends of the show. (laughs) No arguments here. Sago, the minus 190, minus 200 favorite in most sports books. You could get Leandro Silva as a plus 170 dog. That wraps up our preview of a very exciting fight night. The main event 
is a cannot miss if you're an MMA fan. And myself and I mean, Gump, it's it's going to be a cannot miss if you're not an MMA fan because this is the type of fight that makes you one. Uh, myself and Gumby will be back with a pre or with a breakdown of this fight uh, r- soon thereafter, uh, Sunday maybe Monday. We're going to try to get that up as soon as possible. We thank you so much for listening. Email the show Top Turtle. Uh, MMA at gmail.com. I repeat, topturtlemma at gmail.com. Keep on hitting the downloads. We so appreciate it. And we will be back next time with another great show for you, our listeners. We love you guys and girls. Enjoy the fights.